you know, without Zero being a very easy to use cloud-based program, we would have to print stacks and stacks and stacks of paper, and that's not sustainable. Suppliers everywhere across industries wanting to do better is key to success for all of us. Hi, everyone, and welcome to What Led You Here, a podcast where global leaders talk about their journey and how they find the edge to succeed in a world that is getting faster, more complex, and less predictable all the time. I'm Steve Bamos, the CEO of Zero, and I'm the host of this series. I've spent the last 40 years in the technology industry where time and again I've witnessed how success or failure hinges on a leader's ability to manage the consequences of change on their business and to, very importantly, overcome moments of fear and doubt. In this podcast, I talk to CEOs, founders, and entrepreneurs who've embraced change, made sacrifices, and demonstrated true belief in their ideas. And importantly, I chat to them about how they instill that belief in others who back them and work with them. And today, I'm very, very pleased to welcome Jen Lowe, the CEO of Wanderlust & Company, proudly Malaysian-based, led by women and inspired by the entrepreneurial spirit of Australia. If you're familiar with the company, you'll know that they create really distinctive jewellery inspired by nature and the universe and a high street sense of style delivered at prices that real people can afford. Jen was a student in Melbourne when she hatched the idea that became a global jewellery brand worn by the likes of Gigi Hadid and Jessica Alba. It's a really inspiring story and a great example of how vision and conviction can bring a business dream to life. And at Zero, we support millions of small business owners chasing their dreams, so I can't wait to get into a conversation with Jen about her journey. So Jen, welcome. And thank you for making the time to share your story with our audience. So look, why don't we start back uh, 10 or 11 years ago when you were studying accounting and communications in Melbourne and working as a buyer in fashion merchandising and you had this idea. So tell us what you were thinking and what your dream was and uh, what led you to where you are today. Well, first of all, thank you, Steve, for such a lovely intro. I'm so excited to be chatting with you. I was told that I'm your first Asian, Malaysian-based person on your podcast, which is great. So in terms of my journey so far, I actually started the idea of Wanderlust & Co. literally in my bedroom in Melbourne in Australia. I was in my early 20s and I noticed that time whilst I was living and working in retail that there wasn't a digital jewelry brand that was both on trend and affordable yet had lifestyle and community messaging about it. Now, of course, fast forward to today because, you know, as you shared, like Wanderlust is 12 years old with the rise of digital brands. This is quite the norm. But back then when I came up with the idea, it was quite scary and daunting at the same time. I parked the domain name actually for a year and did the research before I officially launched the brand. That's awesome. At at that time, were you exploring social media and technology in in some shape or form that made you see the potential there if you combined that with a business idea? I think what I felt was that millennial women everywhere, regardless of their location, wanted more than things that just looked pretty. They wanted things that were made with care. And hence, you know, our tagline for our jewelry range is also kind to your skin and the planet. Again, today, it's every brand's goal to be sustainable. But back then, 12 years ago, it was so hard when I was trying to find suppliers and, you know, more stories that I'll share as we chat through today. You know, I saw a gap in the market and there wasn't a digital jewelry brand to service millennial women. I think 
when I noticed that gap, I was just excited and keen to try. Back then, I actually studied accounting and I worked in as a buyer. And my ex-boss at that time actually really introduced me and opened my eyes up to how accessories really change an outfit. Clothing or apparel alone doesn't quite cut it. Things like your shoes, your bags, jewelry, it totally accents and changes any outfit. The other thing that attracted me to jewelry is that it's such a great gifting idea. You know, women often have, you know, bad days and we could feel bloated, you know, like I have friends who are pregnant and I might feel like, oh, I'm not this size anymore. But with jewelry, your necklace size is always more or less the same, your bracelet size as well. So it's truly a very positive, a body positive experience, if, if I may share. And it's all these different reasons that made me decide to launch the brand. It's really interesting because as you describe it, you can see how these different elements connected to create the idea for you. And I'm always interested also in the journey as to how your your upbringing and your family also framed your, let's say, courage and vision to uh, start your own business. I know your father was a small business owner or is a small business owner. I'm interested in how that influence played into you taking the steps you did to build your own business. Yeah. Growing up, my dad, he's a real true self-made entrepreneur, you know, and again, entrepreneur is a buzzword, isn't it? Back then he was just a business owner trying to make a good living for his family and put his kids to the best education he could afford. And I witnessed my dad go through so many ups and downs. I witnessed the highs being really high and the lows being very low. And for anyone tuning in who is a business owner or even has had to strive really hard through, you know, the pandemic, I think they can relate to the highs being high and the lows being low. What I witnessed was the ownership he had, the pride he had as a leader. And, you know, even through pandemic, I had different chats with my dad about sustaining business and preparing plan B in case anything, you know, doesn't quite work out the way we expected. And I remember globally, there were talks about salary cuts or how to manage, you know, these hard topics as bosses and asked my dad for his thoughts. And he's quite a traditional guy. He's in his 60s never went to university. Everything was self-taught, really sort of his own hustle, if, if, if I may say so. The first thing he said to me is, the last thing you would do is to touch your team's salary. That would be the last thing. And you know, my dad actually had a trucking business and on each and every one of his trucks, his tagline says, we carry, we care, because it was a logistics company. And it, I grew up with that. And I think that was what inspired me, like the people element. I think numbers and revenue are incredibly important. And it would be a lie to say, you know, as founders, we didn't care, you know, because we do, you know, we use that to measure. But at some point, there needs to be more than numbers. Why do you do this? Like when things get tough, like why do you still wake up and go in every day? You know, my dad really inspired me in this way. Oh, that's a fantastic insight. And, you know, it's a, it's a really important one about the importance of people. I mean, the human element of business is, is everything. It touches everything. And it's funny how common sense that is, really. It's yeah. not a hard concept to get your head around, but it's also scary how that common sense isn't common practice as broadly as you would, you would think. 100%. So they're, they're tremendous foundational thoughts that your father has helped um, frame for you. So then you're on your journey now and you're building, building a brand, building a business. And along the way, uh, there's challenges and it can be a bit scary. Talk about the journey and maybe um, how you overcome some of the fears and doubts that come up as you go. And what, what gave you encouragement that you're onto something and that you're on the path to success? I think that it can be very exciting and very lonely at the same time as a founder, as a business owner. 
I think it's important to never forget why you began. I think for me, one of the things that's really helped me through my journey so far, and really there's so much more to learn and so much more to do and to grow. But what's really helped me is to stay grounded as a person, to never forget, you know, your core values. And innately, I think most businesses and the culture of every business is very much a reflection of the founder as well as their growth and the layers that they, you know, add and shed as leaders. So I think for me, when, when things get tough, you know, take the time out to ask yourself why and never ever forget, you know, why you began and then reframe why you began in the context of today's world and today's goals. And then after that, you know, go back to your people, talk to them, hear them out. Coaching is a very important skill, I believe, in in management. I actually did a short course at Oxford pre-COVID. It was a very insightful course for high-performance leadership. And one of the key things that I would have never expected if I didn't go on that journey on that course was the power of asking questions and the power of coaching. And today I try to apply that whenever things get tough. I don't try to shoulder the burden alone. I think in my early years, I felt I needed to have all the answers and sometimes I still do. And then I have to bring myself back to, okay, no, unlearn the fear, unlearn the doubt, unlearn, you know, the need to have XYZ and, and relearn and practice, you know, what will be healthy, what will be a healthy culture, what will be a healthy mindset for myself as a leader. That's a, a really important lesson that you, you learned in your journey that you described, which is that moment when you realize you don't need to know all the answers, that it is about, you know, surrounding yourself with people and asking the right questions. I don't know whether it was for you, but I know I can actually remember when it happened for me where I just had this realization, I don't need to know. I just need to ask the right questions and that it takes a lot of pressure off you almost immediately. Did it happen quickly for you or was it a gradual recognition? I wish it happened quickly. (laughs) (laughs) It was definitely gradual. And and if I had to be completely vulnerable, I would say I lapse (laughs) because I think the industry that I'm in and the fact that I'm very much the creative brain in the business, in the brand direction, it sometimes, you know, for parts of the business still very much does rely on me. So I think it's a lot of conscious effort and it took a lot of stumbling and learning to get there. I think we hear about or we read about quotes that say failures, you know, are foundational. Failures are the key sometimes to unlocking the next big step. And until and unless you have failed quite majorly, you know, you really don't learn that lesson. And I believe actually that nothing really goes away until we learn what it's there to really teach us. So yeah, I think it took me a while to get there, quite a few years, to be honest. Yeah, it's a, it's important journey. Uh, it, it's interesting because what you, you're doing by virtue of creating what you're creating is, is changing things, changing things for others and changing them for the better. And I, I've sort of learned, it's taken me a lot longer to learn that change doesn't happen without mistakes. You don't get it right first time if you're doing something new. So I'm really interested, you know, you're very much aligned in purpose and also culture and values come through and you know the core of what you do and what wanderlust is there to do is about you know dreaming exploring the mysterious the aesthetic potential of things that are out there that we can you know we can't necessarily see or touch and and bringing that into design and i'm really interested in how you proliferate that thinking in the organization and activate that and is that something you activate across the organization or is that more the focus of a few people in that particular domain of design and creativity? Or is that everywhere? I would say that design thinking is quite a bit of a topic 
there are many ways to break down challenges. There are many ways to problem solve. But I would say that going with the flow, pivoting, which has really come about very handy in the last two years, navigating the pandemic, as well as design thinking is something that is really part of our culture here at Wanderlust and Co. I think especially across the production, merchandising and design teams, as well as the brand marketing teams, which is I've just described 70% of the company because what's left is just operations and finance and admin. I would say across nearly 70% of the organization, design thinking, creative problem solving is a huge part of our DNA. And anyone who can align themselves with those values would do tremendously well here because I often say even I had an interview before I hopped on this podcast and it's for quite a senior role and I basically said to that person at the end of the interview you know I said a lot of my questions during this interview was directed very much at understanding what your purpose is as a professional because there's no joy in you coming in and me saying to you like here are my goals and here are my targets I need to understand what you're hoping to gain and grow as a professional personally. And if that aligns with my hopes and expectations for this role and therefore for the team, the department and the company overall. And if that's all in sync, then, you know, we've got ourselves a great partnership. And I really believe and see that whenever an individual within my team subscribes to that and aligns with that, that it just works so much better. Otherwise, it's just pulling teeth. So essentially that willingness to create, to to try things, change things is something that you're looking for in everybody who's on the journey with you. And really that's a, the journey of product really from concept through to a customer. So it's really interesting. And I, and I know that you, you think deeply about this in the context of sourcing your the certification of suppliers and your insistence on ethical trade standards. Talk a little bit about that because that's, that is just an increasing focus and need for everyone in business. You know, the increasing expectations of our customers and all stakeholders that we care about uh, the way we do business and who we engage in that is such a growing area. I'm really fascinated to understand how you look at that and how others might learn from that. Yeah, we actually started on our journey of sustainability very aggressively, I would say about six years ago, I think in the early stage of business, again, this was 12 years ago, you would be hard pressed to actually find BSCI certified production partners, which is our minimum at the moment, whenever we would work with a production partner. And I'm, I'm very thankful that as we grew as a business and came into a position to be able to really pick and choose suppliers and denote a bit more process within our supply chain, that there was also a rise in the supply of things like, you know, organic cotton, things like recycled metals, you know, all our pieces are actually made with recycled brass or recycled sterling silver. And all the water that goes into the plating process get recycled. You know, all the materials we use in our packaging are uh, sustainably produced and they are actually biodegradable. So all these things, I think, are super important. But I also feel like credit needs to be given back to the industries that support retail. I would say that in production, in manufacturing, in the supply of packaging and things like that, if each industry isn't also desiring for this change, you know, it's circular economy, isn't it? We all need to want to be better. We all need to want to do better for the planet and need to want more efficiency and need to want things to be more seamless. And, and only then can we all win together. It really takes teamwork and teamwork isn't just 
it, within your team, it's also your suppliers and everything, even, even a product like Xero, right? You know, without Xero being a very easy to use cloud-based program, we would have to print stacks and stacks and stacks of paper. And that's not sustainable, neither for time management nor, you know, for the environment. So I think suppliers everywhere across industries wanting to do better is key to success for all of us. It is really about uh, connecting with those like-minded progressive thinkers in you know, the supply chain and encouraging them as well and supporting them, which uh, you make that point very, very, very effectively. And building team, just generally, uh, you know, what you, you actually have got off to a great start in this conversation by talking about your focus on coaching, I think is a really fascinating area because so many teams just don't get it or, don't, or lack it. So having a leader that thinks with a coaching mindset is, is a real plus for your team. So they're very fortunate to have you thinking that way. When you look at teamwork and building team, you know, you know, you've already made some great points about coaching, but are there any other thoughts that sort of come to mind that, you know, you're conscious of as you go through uh, developing the business and bringing people in and, and growing them? I'm a huge fan of Brene Brown's work and I've learned so much. You know, she talks about very basic challenges we have at work and, and challenges that aren't just limited to leaders or founders, but challenges to anyone who wants to do well in the workforce or are balancing different demands, you know, personal and professional. And I think two things that I really appreciate about her work, which I think are so applicable and it's constantly evolving for us at the workplace and at home, to be honest as well, is definitely on vulnerability and definitely also on being clear. She has this tagline and it reads, clear is kind. The first time I saw those words on her Instagram post, it really hit me. I think I sat for a good five minutes processing <laughs> because how often are we, you know, not wanting to, you know, we want to be nice. So we dance around the topic or we kind of dodge the bullet and we get someone else to say something or we delay it till, you know, we, we absolutely have to have that conversation. And I think being absolutely clear, although at times can be quite cutthroat, depending on the situation, is perhaps most kind. And I think for me, um, when it comes to teams, on top of coaching and being a good listener and like uh, being able to champion problem solving and, and think all these things we talked about earlier, I think being transparent, being clear is very important. Yeah, that flow of honest and direct feedback is a very kind thing to do, ultimately, even if the message is not one that someone necessarily wants to hear, but they deserve to hear the truth. So yeah, that's a, that's a great observation. I want to talk to you about work-life balance a little bit. Everyone's favorite topic. <laughs> that's right. Well, there's a lot of, a lot of focus on well-being at work and work-life balance means so many different things. But for you, you know, you, you're not just a successful leader of a business, but you're also a mum. Thoughts, advice to people listening in on how you juggle those responsibilities and manage that because I'm sure there'd be plenty that would love to hear it. I think when it comes to work-life balance, humor is really important. I think we find ourselves in a very tense situation when we're very stressed, like, you know, we're clenching our teeth, we're brows are furred, we're like, you know, we're like clenched up into a tight ball, you know. But when we're like deep breathing, when we're relaxed, you know, when we're on holiday and we're like looking at a glorious sunset with five colors in the on the horizon and waves lapping in, we're breathing properly, not just through your nose, but your whole body is breathing. And I think sometimes when I get too tense or too stressed, when things are not completely in balance, and I'm going to be honest, you know, 
I have two little kids who are three and six years old. Um, my husband has a, an incredibly busy job as well. He works in investment finance and runs his own fund. So it's full on. Life, honestly, for the most part, just to manage expectations to anyone who's listening in, in terms of balance, is often not quite there. So I think being able to, instead of wishing things were more in balance, which I often do find myself doing, I think it's more coping when it's not out of balance rather than wishing it was any different. If, if that makes sense, that would be my first sharing. I think my second sharing, so humor and then just learning to accept actually for the most part, if this is the journey you've decided for yourself, that this is just what this journey pretty much looks like. And then I think the second part to me is definitely having a support system and being able to carve out self-care time and time out. And I think everyone has different hobbies. We talk about things that are energy drainers and things that are energy chargers. And, you know, I have people on my team who are so creative and energy chargers for them is just, you know, sitting and painting for two hours. You know, for someone else on my team, it could be, you know, going for a football game with his mates. So I think the sooner we learn as individuals what's an energy drainer for you and what's an energy charger for you, the quicker you are able to very quickly like your phone when you grab your phone and you charge it you can figure out very quickly how to charge yourself as a person and every now and again life is going to go off balance and even when you think things are going really well life will throw you a curveball hello covid so it's not so much about proofing your life it's more about how to ride just like a surfer how to ride the waves that's a that's a great observation i i, I really agree with you that that recharge point you made about just being disciplined about at what point, you know, recognizing that it's all at a point where you need to step away, take a breath, do whatever it is that takes the, the pressure out and brings you back to yourself, I think is, is a great advice. Cause at the end of the day, and I'm, I'm fortunate enough to work with, uh, with many great women executives who are mums as well. It's not about whether you can eliminate the pressure or the challenge. It really is about taking energy from it, but also making sure, as you said, you've got a good support system and you know how to switch off when you have to. I think that's really great advice. Now, imitation is, is the highest form of flattery. And there's been people watching what you're doing. And on occasion, you've had an experience where others try and pass their products off for your brand, which um, is not very nice. Has that experience played out for you? To be honest, it was really heartbreaking and it came, especially at a very difficult time, it came right smack bang in the middle of the pandemic when most of the world was in lockdown. And as you rightfully pointed out, it is a form of flattery. We're doing something that's worth being copied. But at the same time, you know, there are so many big box fast fashion companies with factories just churning out copies, not in a sustainable way that, you know, really shame on them. Being copied, I mean, the copies floating out there and, and the impact on business is one thing. But I think to me, what saddened me the most is the fact that if they're copying our products, which are sustainably made and selling it, you know, for $5, for example, on certain resale websites and mass market platforms, which I won't name. But if that's what they're doing, if, if someone is buying something for $5 that claims to be 14 karat plated gold, how much do you mm. think the person who sat and made your product and had to make thousands of that, how much is that person paid? As consumers, we need to be accountable sometimes for where we put our dollars and think 
a bit longer term, especially with global warming and so many climate change and so many things that are impacting the world we live in. We really need to try to live the planet a better place than when we came into it. I realized that with all things, as per the last question, it's all about balance. But to me, this really went a little bit too far. I'm very grateful for my very diligent IP lawyers who did an excellent job tracking down the copies and sending cease and desist letters and taking the necessary legal action. I think sometimes like I'm, I'm such a creative that like I would probably end up empathizing for them. Um, so like you said, Steve, like pick the best people for the job, let them do what they're best at. So I'm very grateful to my lawyers. I think I'm also grateful as a business, we had the courage to speak up on the platforms. At one point, it was quite disturbing to have people who purchased these copies actually call us out on social media and our comments saying that we're selling a marked up version of the copies. That was especially brutal. And that was when we realized that we we were afraid, to be honest, like members of my marketing team were sort of, oh, what if people don't believe us? And so we released sketches and the original pieces and hundreds of our followers came out of the woodwork and stood up for us in the comments of that post on Instagram and said things like, it's true. I've been following this brand. You know, they first released these three tarot necklaces. And then after that, this range, and they're so clear with the launch drops, like they work at Wonderlust. And so I think the silver lining of that was if you're on the right path and you're doing the right thing, although we might not get all the dollars back of the copies that were being sold, but what was clear to us was the community of what we call our WCore Girl Gang, our hashtag WCO Girl Gang, Wonderlust and Co Girl Gang, that really has been following our journey and really does appreciate what we're doing as a small, you know, as an SME, as a small medium business. Well, sounds like you handled that very well. And it is just one of those things in the journey of running a business, you know, that unfortunately things happen along the way that can be very, very frustrating and upsetting. And I think the ultimate test is if your customers are willing to advocate for you and step up and support you, that's a tremendous reflection of the quality of your business. So well done. Well done on that. So Jen, you've been very generous with time and you've given us some fantastic insights. I want to just close off the discussion now with some quick draw Q&A so that we can learn a little bit more about you. So are you ready to go? Yes, let's do okay, this. Okay, here we go. What's your favorite color? Green. Who's your favorite jewelry designer outside of your brands? I really like Chanel only because they're so innovative. I recently bought a brooch from them that's designed like a wheel of fortune and you know, I have purse from them that's shaped like a little rocket ship. Um, I think Carl Lagerfeld, before he passed, is definitely one of the greatest designers that have ever graced this planet. You know, when he does his shows, they really take you somewhere else when he did his runway on the beach or runway in Cuba or on the ski slopes in Aspen and comes out with like a ski lift bag, you know, things like that. I think fashion should be fun. Fashion should take you elsewhere because the world as it is, is difficult enough. And so Carl made fashion fantasy. And for that, like Chanel, to me, is one of the most iconic brands ever. Beautifully said. What music do you like to listen to? I listen to everything, but I have to say that I really almost am embarrassed, but I really like Justin Bieber. <laughs> Nothing embarrassing. Nothing embarrassing. Like I can tell you, I've, I've been a Kiss fan for years, and that's probably more embarrassing, but don't worry about it. Where would you like to take your next holiday? So I actually fly off on my next holiday tomorrow. I'm off to London, Paris, and Portugal with my husband. So that's going to be a lot of fun. It's our first long trip to Europe over the last two years. Where in Portugal are you going? He's planned 
the itinerary and it's supposed to be a surprise, you know, and honestly, okay. I've just been too busy with work. So I've surrendered it to him. This is where I've outsourced it to my support system. Uh-huh. Very good. Well, you love Portugal. <laughs> Wherever he's taking you, I reckon you're going to love it. What's your favorite thing to do outside of work? Not that there'll be plenty of time for other things, but anything else outside of your, your lovely family and your work that sort of stands to mind? I have so many hobbies. I sometimes just feel like I don't have enough time to do it all. Like my husband, I'm almost always five minutes late to everything. And my husband says, you know, it's not because you're slow or you're not aware. He's like, you're so hopeful. You just think you can cram everything in. And I love tennis. I obviously love shopping. I love to travel. I love to eat and drink. I love having a coffee, catch up with friends. And I really have too many hobbies that I enjoy outside of work. I just don't have enough time for them all. Yoga. I like yoga too. <laughs> well, Jen, thank you. Thank you so much for sharing your time and your insights. It's been a really, really enjoyable and rich conversation for me. I could talk to you for hours, I know, from uh, this opportunity. And congratulations on everything you've accomplished so far. Uh, we're very, very lucky to have you as part of the Zero community. Many, many people out there are very lucky that there's someone like you doing what you're doing, bringing joy to many and doing it in a way that uh, you can be really proud of the way you care about people, but also your insights on what great business leadership is all about will serve everyone listening to this very, very well. So thank you so much. Thanks so much, Steve. You're too kind. You've been so generous with all your kind words through the entire chat. I hardly realized time has flown past. I have to thank you for creating such an amazing product. Zero has been such a help through my journey as an entrepreneur. Like literally prior to using Zero, we were on Excel. And, you know, we almost needed eight eyeballs like we were spiders trying to figure things out. And now Zero plugs in directly to Shopify Plus and it just works. You know, we don't even think about it. We can generate reports and do so many things. And so I actually, I, I feel honored to have had this chat with you because likewise, I'm such a fan of your product too. Thanks, Jen. And we are very lucky to have a customer like you. So all the best. Enjoy your holiday. Thank you. And safe travels to you back from London. 